Hi, friends. You're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. This podcast is for anyone who's gotten to their 30s, 40s, or 50s and realized life isn't always as linear as we expected. Tune in monthly as I interview guests about their own midlife plot twists and hear how they've navigated all of life's unexpected twists and turns. Hi, everyone. It's Lucy Baber, and I am here today with two of my own midlife plot twists. My first one is today I'm interviewing my partner, my new partner, Scott Zielinski, and we are going to be talking about one of my other midlife plot twists, which is my newfound love for horror movies. And before we dive in, I wanted to quickly explain what we're going to be talking about today. So Scott and I had the idea. We we watch movies all the time, specifically horror movies. And I had the idea that in horror movies, there are a lot of similar themes that go through the movies. And one of them that comes up a lot is that people have like a moment of either realization or some kind of midlife plot twist of their own in the movie that they have to kind of come to terms with and they can choose to do that in a redemptive way like overcoming adversity or just giving into all of their worst impulses and for example like becoming a serial killer so um we thought it would be fun to examine some of our favorite midlife plot twists in horror movies and before I introduce like give Scott a chance to introduce himself I wanted to just kind of quickly talk about why I think horror movies are important so I did a quick google search of the psychological benefits of horror movies and um, because I don't think it's just about having fun and being scared like there's actually something to it and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is the benefits of watching other people go through these like horrific things so a quick google search some quotes that I can pull from that tells us that watching horror movies helps us feel in control these are all like from psychologists quotes from psychologists teaches us how to handle real life stress better The brain calms down and releases serotonin and dopamine. When you watch a horror movie, they simulate threatening simulations and they can help us regulate our emotions. So I do think that there's a benefit from hearing other people's stories or even made up scenarios and watching it play out in horrific ways so that our brains can kind of like regulate through some of those scary situations. That being said, Scott, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and why you love horror movies specifically. And then we'll go ahead and dive into our list. All right. Yeah. My name is Scott. Um, This is what I sound like. Uh, (laughs) I'm a uh, projectionist at a movie theater and I am also a writer. So I, yeah, I love movies. If you can't tell, (laughs) (laughs) I uh, just always grew up. I grew up watching movies from a very young age movies of all like not just kids movies but movies I probably shouldn't have been watching at a young age (laughs) (laughs) I uh I uh because my parents have been uh separated from a very 
since I was a very young age and I would spend weekends at my dad's. And when my dad would pick me up, the first stop would be Blockbuster. And he would send me and my, uh, my younger brother out into the store and said, just pick out two movies and come back. So that's what we did. And we picked out whatever we wanted to. And we would spend the weekend watching whatever we got our hands on. Yeah. So that's, I did a lot of that for a long time. So that's, uh, that's where my movie education came from, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. And then you met me and you passed that obsession on to me. Yes. I, I infected you with my <laughs> obsession. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we have a list of, they're not like the 10 best movies ever made. They're not even necessarily 10 of our favorite horror movies, but they are 10 notable midlife plot twists that we could think of off the top of our heads in horror movies, right? Yes. Yeah, just kind of random favorites that came to mind. Some that we've seen more recently, some that we've seen a million times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've seen a million times. I've yeah, pretty much... This entire list, I've seen everything once. Some of them I've seen slightly more than once, but actually, I think only, well, okay, I've seen one, the first one quite a few times, but the rest, I haven't seen more than twice of anything. You're the expert here. (laughs) You ready? I I can do this. I'm training. (laughs) Okay. So... For each of these 10 movies, we're going to go through a couple questions, understanding that a lot of people haven't necessarily seen or even necessarily heard of these movies. We're going to do a quick synopsis. So the first question is, what's the movie about? Along with that, what's the most memorable or a memorable moment in that movie? And then we're going to talk about what's the midlife plot twist? What's the outcome of like, how does the character deal with that plot twist? And was it redemptive for the character or not? Did they have some kind of moment where they came to terms with their situation and were able to move forward in a healthy and responsible way? Or did they just decide to live the rest of their life or die in sin? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so the first movie that we thought of for... A notable midlife plot twist is the movie Shaun of the Dead. So this is the only one that I've seen multiple times. <laughs> Scott, can you give us a like one or two sentence synopsis of the movie Shaun of the Dead, please? Uh, Shaun of the Dead is about a regular guy living with his uh, best friend. And there are a couple slobs, basically. And uh, Shaun is in a relationship and he's not really going anywhere uh, at least not as far as their relationship is concerned and she wants to do more and he wants to sit around and yeah chill out with his with his buddy and go to their local bar and and she wants him to grow up basically meanwhile zombies show up (laughs) (laughs) and it takes them a while to realize that zombies have shown up yeah yeah because he there's a there's a sequence he's going about his regular day that you saw him early in the movie, just walking down the street, going to the store, and he does the same thing the next day, walking past all these dead bodies and (laughs) zombies walking around. Back up. Did you say how old you are? Oh, I did not. How old are you, Scott? I'm 32. 
Okay. So for the purposes of this podcast, you are not um, yet qualified to speak on the topic of midlife as from experience. But so I don't know how old, I mean, most of these movies don't have like an age listed on them for each character. That's not how movies work, but I'm making, we're making the assumption talking about each of these movies that all these characters are midlife ish. So Sean in the movie, Sean of the dead, we're assuming is probably, I don't know, probably early thirties, if not mid thirties, he's not too deep into midlife. Um, but he's, he's stuck in this rut. Uh, and his plot twist is having to face the zombies head on and decide, am I going to stay in my rut and kind of let, I don't know, evil thing consume me? Or am I going to fight back and step up into like my kind of hero era? <laughs> right? Like that, that's pretty yeah. much his yeah, that's Basically okay. it. Yeah. Just him needing to move on and yeah, be an adult. Yeah. Yeah make some decisions about like how to actually like i mean i'm just gonna put a period there actually make some decisions in his life (laughs) because he's the kind of guy that he really hasn't and so there's an interesting thing too um and this might pop up throughout some of the other movies as well a lot of times the villain in horror movies is kind of like historically symbolic for some other common thing that we face in life Mm -hmm. so it's not like a coincidence that the guy who's kind of going through life like a zombie now has to fight the other zombies right yeah yeah that's definitely intentional because even like early in the movie when he's just going about his daily routine all the people around him look like zombies they're not bloody and wounded or anything but they're like everyone's sitting around staring straight ahead their mouth open like yeah that's very intentional and yeah symbolic yeah so it's that's one of the reasons why it takes them a while to really realize what's happening because you're used to going through life and everyone's kind of on autopilot not really making eye contact or like interacting with each other and so you probably don't pay much attention to like, like you ran a Wawa this morning. Like you yeah. <laughs> may or may not have noticed what other people were doing around you. They're all just kind of running in and out to get what they need. But then they add the uh, added level of um, being undead and having <laughs> like blood and guts and all of that while they're doing those same motions. Yeah. So he has this, midlife plot twist he has to fight the zombies do you have a most memorable moment in the movie that like sticks out to you as like well sticks out just in general do you have a favorite moment but also if you can think of one is there like a defining moment where he like realizes oh this is what's happening and this is how i'm going to choose how to act uh well uh favorite moment oh that's tough it might be when uh they're like fighting a zombie in the bar that they're holed up in and uh the for whatever reason the jukebox starts playing uh don't stop me now by queen <laughs> <laughs> and they're all hitting they're hitting uh the zombie with pull cues in rhythm to the song and <laughs> and it's uh and it's like the actions that they're doing in the scene are like singing up with some lyrics like it's 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 so freaking clever and yeah 
that's that might be my favorite part of the movie uh, offhand but as far as like a you mean like a like a poignant moment when those themes really come yeah. together yeah i mean like i i am terrible at remembering individual scenes in movies but is there a moment where like you can see his face change yeah i i would say probably um are we okay with spoilers and i guess we would have to be if we're talking about yeah let, let's do and- light spoilers i mean for Shaun of the dead it doesn't feel like that big of a spoiler to say he fights the zombies yeah yeah <laughs> his like whole coming of age thing I, I feel like it happens really gradually like throughout the like he has to take a more like leadership role and because he's like yeah he has to lead all these survivors and you know try to keep everyone alive and and uh he like makes a few moves in the movie that are kind of like sacrificial things mm. that he has to do like he when uh he distracts all the zombies so that everybody can clear out uh, can uh, can run into the bar and he hasn't been seen for hours and they like don't know what happened to him but they're like that was a big thing for him to do and uh even though <laughs> it's it's so ironic uh intentionally because and they all end up see, uh, taking refuge in this bar that she that his girlfriend is so sick of him bringing her to <laughs> and uh but it's yeah it's all about yeah survival and he wants to prove himself to his girlfriend and so it's really more of a I guess more of a gradual thing but yeah yeah I mean that makes me feel better that I don't remember that moment either because I think you're right I think it is more of a gradual thing I don't I don't know that there's ever like a pat on the back for like, hey, you did that. It's more just like we all just had to do it. And that's how we stayed alive. Yeah. 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 And his character goes through a lot with like his like, yeah, there's that scene where his mom dies and there's the scene where, yeah, his best friend gets gets bit. And they're they're just like, Sean, I'm so sorry you're going through this, but we we, we still have problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which. That feels very true to real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. There's no time to slow down. <laughs> so the outcome is that he fights off the zombies. They survive, correct? Mm-hmm. And then yes. would we consider this movie redemptive for the main character? Does he pull through in a in a healthy, responsible way? Yeah, absolutely. It um I mean there's a moment where they all, where they briefly consider suicide, but uh, <laughs> but they <laughs> <laughs> they they do end up like yeah, uh, getting out and finding other survivors, and they you know kill the zombies, and it ends with him. Uh, he's he and his girlfriend have like finally moved in, and uh, they're like hanging out together, and he still sees his best friend, but not he's not you know living in the house with him. He still sees him when he can, and. Yeah, so I think it's very it's very positive and redemptive. Awesome. And Simon yeah. Pegg is just so freaking likable. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, to, <laughs> to add to the fact that they're, um, yeah, I think you, did you say they're like bums in the beginning? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. they're also, also British bums, which still makes them like a billion times more charming than any of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's so much, yeah, he's not like a Seth Rogen stoner type. <laughs> he's just a British slob it's all so charming (laughs) i want him as a friend yeah exactly (laughs) okay so so yeah Shaun of the dead will will add to the redemptive list the next movie though this the next movie each of us has only seen once right 
it's a serial mom. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so serial mom is an one of the amazing John Waters movies, and it's essentially the story of it's Kathleen Turner, right? Yeah. Okay, so Kathleen Turner is Beverly, this bored housewife. She lives in this like you know, cookie cutter world where all the housewives are just kind of like sitting around gossiping on the phone all day and doing the like PTO meetings and baking things for bake sales and all that, you know, traditional boring mom stuff. And uh, (laughs) her secret is that, and you find this out very quickly in the movie, is that she actually spends her days prank calling and tormenting one of her fellow mom neighbors and also she is a serial killer we're not really clear on if she's actually done any killing before the movie starts though is that is that how you remember Uh, you know i uh, i don't remember i feel like it's implied or i mean yeah maybe yeah i don't know because yeah it starts out with mostly her just doing uh, prank calling uh, Mink Stole. Yeah, <laughs> but but at some point there there is a a killing. There's a death, and that's where like the the ladies' gossip kind of all turns, and that's where like they start trying to figure out well who could have done this, and she's you know like playing innocent fellow housewife and like oh I know it's crazy and and meanwhile she's actually responsible first memorable moments do you have any that like stand out like uh the what i always think of when i think of serial mom is her prank calling me still yeah <laughs> is this the cocksucker residence <laughs> <laughs> if i can yeah. say that i don't know <laughs> no you could say whatever you want and she's oh, okay. she's dirty and terrible and just mean yeah. <laughs> and that's the first like the movie starts out innocently enough like it's very like it plays like a 1950s sitcom but in color at first and mm-hmm. and you're just like oh this is so pleasant and like something seems off and then she calls Mink Stoll is this the cocksucker residence god damn you <laughs> <laughs> and the best part if anyone else has ever watched another John Waters movie uh, a lot of his movies have a smaller kind of tight-knit cast of actors that play different roles and Mink Stoll the actress uh, traditionally is one of the instigators in some of his other movies and so to see her kind of like clutch her pearls and be like oh no of course not um is pretty satisfying as well yeah that's a that's a great inverse (laughs) kathleen turner's character beverly her midlife plot twist i would say is she has decided to shake up her boring life by murdering people (laughs) And prank calling people. Uh, she's really just like, just, she's got like a real mischievous streak. And a lot of her murders are vindictive, but over like everyday mundane things like. Oh yeah, that's right. Like, uh, hold on. We're going to have to like turn to the Google for this. Wikipedia says that she's murdering those who she perceives to slight her and her family or fail to live up to her moral standards, which I like. <laughs> So she she is retaliating against Dottie, uh, Ming Stoll's character, uh, for having taken a parking space from her. (laughs) Somebody during a PTA meeting criticizes her son's interest in horror films. 
and uh, they start to question her parenting because of that. So, um, so she runs that person over with her car and it's like just bit after bit of like all these like mildly inconveniencing things where she's just like, nope, it's time to kill them. So her midlife plot twist is, I guess, dealing with these impulses to shake up her boring life. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Having had enough of it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuck in this, in this housewife 1950s bubble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of John Waters movies are kind of a commentary on traditional society versus like what, what our darker impulses are to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them I would say are very, uh, yeah, they tackle the same, same things. Yeah. So the outcome of course, uh, is obvious right from the beginning, uh, that she is the serial killer. That's that's the outcome of her midlife plot twist. Now, <laughs> the outcome of the movie is, so spoiler alert, uh, she gets away with it. Uh, she ends up getting arrested. She goes through this like long, um, very public trial. And she's so convincing in her role as um, perfect little housewife that she just, kind of pokes holes in everyone else's arguments so she gets away with it and that's the we're not going to give away the other spoiler of who else gets involved but um would you consider her story to be redemptive scott <laughs> it's it's definitely enjoyable and entertaining in the best <laughs> ways but redemptive probably not she she doesn't seem to go through any real change like she's yeah. Uh, yeah. Without giving too much away, I think yeah, her, her character arc is like a straight line, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I would say <laughs> as much as I, as much as you end up rooting for her because everyone else really is the worst and her story is like, to some extent relatable is not redemptive. You can't actually like justify what she ends up doing in the end. Yeah. Yeah, no, not really. She's yeah, still horribly murdering people, and it, I mean, it's and it's super light, and I don't remember it being very gory. Like no. I remember there's there's blood, but it's not yeah. Um, and it's it's super fun and entertaining, and Kathleen Turner is amazing in it. But uh, it's yeah, she doesn't really learn from her mistakes. Yeah, I will. I will also say for anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen any John Waters movies beyond like crybaby or hairspray um it's vulgar so you've been warned (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can't tell from the prank call in the first five minutes of the movie it's uh it's very (laughs) vulgar if you know anything about john waters just know that if if the movie has his name on it then it's vulgar (laughs) it's meant to shock you (laughs) yeah so serial mom bored housewife next movie is another movie that each of us have only seen once also about essentially uh, not bored housewives, but women who are living very traditional lives in midlife-ish. Maybe I, they could be in their twenties. I don't really know, especially with eighties hair. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Always age a person in a movie, but we're gonna call them in in their midlife. And the so the movie is called The Ladies Club. And this is a movie that we saw 
um as a part it was at x-fest right yeah x-fest at the uh the colonial yeah so x-fest tell us about x-fest scott uh so x-fest is a annual marathon of exploitation movies uh run by exhumed films they're in like in the pennsylvania region uh, i don't think kind of yeah like pennsylvania or um, maybe like new jersey i can't tell yeah yeah basically like around the philly radius they uh yeah they hold screenings of cult films and exploitation films and horror films and yeah and uh x-fest they play i think it's like six exploitation movies so tell us uh, this is kind of putting you on the spot but for people who don't know what an exploitation movie is tell tell us what that <laughs> could be exploitation movies always they're, they're basically they're b movies um and uh, a lot of people watch exploitation movies, although they probably wouldn't call them that. But um, lots of like schlocky horror movies are exploitation movies. Lots of uh, schlocky action movies are exploitation movies. And they're movies that are just made to, they just ex- exploit certain other like, either like cultures or themes or just things to just to purely to entertain. They're not made with any high-minded, they have no high-minded ambitions. They're just, yeah, wh- whether it's like uh, movies like Shaft, Superfly, these are like these are called uh, quote black exploitation movies because they exploit black culture and uh, yeah, and they're usually very like tasteless and vulgar and and uh, that, that 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 goes for all exploitation movies really because um yeah there are black exploitation movies there's kung fu exploitation movies and it's it's in the title you, you basically know what those movies are just when i say what the subgenre is but um yeah they're usually violent vulgar and not for kids and they're just fun <laughs> yeah i would definitely say not for kids um yeah, <laughs> yeah i just pulled up like I, I think you did a really good job explaining it i pulled up like a wikipedia definition and it says an exploitation film is a film that tries to succeed financially. That sounds weird. I mean, all films are trying to succeed financially, but yeah. uh, by exploiting current trends, niche genres, or lurid content, they're generally low quality B movies. Although some set trends attract critical attention, become historically important, and even gain a cult following. And they list a couple different genres of exploitation. There's like exploitation there's black exploitation there's what's the the canadian one canucks canucks exploitation yeah (laughs) so there there's a there's an exploitation movie for whatever your taste is but they're meant to usually like shock just like the john waters movies okay so the ladies club was shown at this exploitation movie marathon that we went to and do you want to give a quick synopsis or you want me to sum it up yeah, the protagonist, it's this uh, it's this woman, she's coming, I, uh, I believe she's like coming home from a shift at a, uh, at a hospital or something, and um, she gets uh, attacked by, by a man. She gets like beaten and, and, and sexually assaulted. She, you know, uh, she has this like post-traumatic stress from it, and she meets this, uh, this support group of women who have all been through the same thing or similar experiences and um they uh basically they decided they that they've they've had enough of it and one of them is a surgeon so they decide to go around luring uh predators in and castrating them 
Yes. Yes. But the, the, the key word of this movie is castration. <laughs> There's one yeah. word that, that you need to hear in that synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so. And it's amazing. <laughs> It is pretty amazing. <laughs> so there's this like subgenre, or I don't even know if you would call it a genre, but like a an inside joke, I guess, within the horror movie world <laughs> that is like good for her. <laughs> and it's basically just like whenever you see a story where typically it's about women um, who are either sexually assaulted or for one reason or another made to feel less than just for the sake of being a woman and uh they get their moment of revenge which a lot of us you know i'm not sure that i can say everyone has thought about castrating the men who have done this to us but <laughs> a lot of us have those fleeting moments where we're like ah these guys aren't getting what uh what they deserve and if only i could X, Y, and Z. And so the Good For Her cinematic universe explores that and gives our female protagonists a chance to have their revenge, usually by murder, but sometimes also just by like getting guys in trouble and giving them what they deserve. And there's, you know, a whole, you could just look up on the, the internet, the Good For Her cinematic universe, and there's tons of examples of that. But they're not often women in quote unquote midlife like we're considering this group of women to be usually they're like young pretty girls in their teens and 20s so I don't know I felt like this movie was especially satisfying because these are like as far as we can tell very like traditional career driven women who are unassuming just going about their lives but for one reason or another they've been targeted by these predators and they're just fed up and they I think there's also quite a bit of the beginning of the movie where she's like trying to go through the traditional um yeah that's right uh like she tries to go to the cops she tries to like report the guy and you know it's it's a cast of men I think who are just like well sorry we don't know what to do with that and that's one of the things that contributes to her being fed up and all these women it's like nobody is listening to them and nobody's helping them yeah the the justice system completely fails them and that's that's like their main point is like what well, is it the whole thing kind of comes about in one of their meetings it's a very eventful meeting because they start out like just like talking about you know what they've each of them has been through and and it starts with them yeah just like telling some of their stories and then by the end they're like fuck the justice system it, it doesn't work and fuck all these pieces of shit out there and we need to do something because no one else will do anything and by the end they're already like getting into groups like <laughs> to figure out how to do this yeah yeah and so they they end up like there's a whole process they they, they really like make it very like systematic where they you know <laughs> nobody's left alone and they they one person poses as like the the target that you know like if we know this guy likes redheads then we're gonna send the redhead in and she's gonna you know lure him back to go back to her place or whatever and um that's they usually end up like i think drugging them and knocking them out and then they they get them in this room and they castrate them yeah so the out so the midlife plot twist is you know these women are faced with these injustices and they nobody is helping them so they take matters into their own hands 
the outcome is the men no longer have dicks. <laughs> uh, but the outcome is also like they're while they're doing all of this, they're also kind of wrestling with the ethics of it and also the safety of it because, you know, so they're working in teams. It starts to show like news reports of like these men just keep getting castrated and we don't know who's doing it. And they have to come, they have to like make decisions decisions about well, is this guy the last guy? Because we've we're reaching the end of our list, or are we going to keep going because we don't want other women to be at risk too? And also, you know, we're getting close to being found out, and even if we don't get found out, it's really taking a toll on our personal lives. And there's just a lot of layers to how this is actually working out for them. Would you add anything to that outcome, Scott? I guess not. I don't know. I could pretty much. It really covers it. I mean, it, it is a pretty, yeah. No, I, I, I guess I don't have much to add. <laughs> okay, so this one, I mean, the last one, we were like, it's entertaining. We want her to succeed, but also it's not redemptive. This one feels like a little bit more of a gray area. Is it? Is it redemptive? I mean, it's not. I should say <laughs> there is a clear ethical standpoint that one should take, and that is, don't cause physical harm to people. You can't be like a vigilante in a functioning society. Right, right. But... (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, someone's got to do something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so it's not, I would say it's not a redemptive arc for our protagonist. But at the same time, you're rooting for her. You you want these men to like see what, what they did and to to understand that they can't just get away without any without any punishment yeah it because it yeah it gets to a point where they where they have to stop yeah and because it's like more people have died some of the wrong people have died Mm -hmm. and and they're like all right we we just can't do this anymore we got to stop and like sure that's you you probably should (laughs) but (laughs) Oh, like, yeah, really? <laughs> You're gonna stop? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's just, it's very it is a very gray area, and the your the characters wrestle with it. You're meant to wrestle with it, but at the end of the day, it's an exploitation movie, and you want to see some pieces of shit get their dicks cut off. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so we're still staying with the women for uh, our number four movie. Um, this is one that I only just recently saw, like last month. We were going through the entire Halloween movie franchise, minus the Rob Zombie ones. And so we came up on Halloween H2O. Tell yes. us the synopsis of Halloween H2O with all of your Halloween expertise, please. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I feel like most people should basically have an idea of what the first Halloween is. Michael Myers is just this escaped killer. He killed, yeah, killed his sister when he was a kid and he's been incarcerated ever since in uh, yeah, mental, various mental hospitals. And um, on Halloween night, uh, I forget how many years later, uh, he's like in his 20s now and he like breaks out and he goes back to his hometown where he yeah grew up and starts murdering babysitters. And he tries to kill Jamie Lee Curtis and 
Who is Laurie she Strode. Who is Laurie Strode, yes. And uh, she survives. Michael gets shot, but he escapes. And then, oh, that's right, because this includes Halloween 2 also. Because th- this, So Halloween H2O, <laughs> the, the timeline of these freaking Halloween movies is just, there are like five separate timelines, three of which have Jamie Lee Curtis. And it's just, oh my God. <laughs> so it goes right into Halloween 2, where it's just, it takes up, it picks up exactly where the first one left off. Laurie Strode goes to the hospital for her wounds. And Michael is still walking around town, killing people. He gets to the hospital and you find out through clumsy exposition from other characters that Michael and Laurie Strode are actually brother and sister. And Laurie was put up for adoption when she was a kid. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And then Halloween three, four, five, and six happened, but those are all ignored by the time we get to the seventh one which is Halloween H2O, which only acknowledges the first two movies. So Halloween H2O, <laughs> it, it takes place 20 years later after Halloween 2. Laurie Strode uh, is a, a dean at a private school, and she has a son played by Josh Hartnett, who also goes to school, and she's still wrestling with uh, post-traumatic stress from what happened to her 20 years ago. And everybody around her is like, God, Mom, get over it. And... Uh, you know, it was 20 years ago. What's what's the problem? And she just can't. She's very protective of her son. She doesn't like him, you know, going anywhere uh, without her knowledge or like uh, getting too far away from her. And she, you know, doesn't want him. She wants to keep him close. And she's very, you know, still freaked out about Michael Myers, understandably. And um, Michael comes back and the rest is typical slasher movie, basically. <laughs> So, okay. So there's a lot to work with there. So Lori, I don't know. How old do you think she is? Like 40? I mean, when she was a babysitter, she was a senior, I think. So she was probably like 18. So she's probably like 38 pushing 40. Yeah, I'd say. Okay. Or maybe she was even in college. I don't really remember. But but she's she's close to 40. She's, you know, somehow, uh, you know, a lot of these slasher movies... We talk about like the final girl who gets away from the killer, um, but we don't get to see what happens next. A lot of times they just kind of survive and then it like fades to black and we're like, oh, good. Well, hopefully she did OK. But then the franchise movies like Halloween and not so much Friday the 13th, but the a little bit the uh, nightmare on elm street movies and the scream movies like we do actually get a chance to see what happens next to the final girl in a, in lots of these but it's not always so far out usually it's just like a couple years later and she has to fight him again and she's trying to move on with her life but she just keeps getting sucked back into this like <laughs> same plot line over and over again and so h2o is kind of unique in that it fast forwards way into the future. Uh, thankfully, we have the hero, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who continues to keep coming back for these movies decades later. Um, and I thought that was a really unique spin to be able to see, like, what has this person been doing for 20 years? How has she been able to move past it in her life? And then how does it kind of play out whether the threat is there or not, right? Because the first mm-hmm. half of the movie 
everyone is saying, get over it. He's gone. He's, he's not around anymore. He's not a threat, but her gut keeps saying like, no, you know, he's out there. I know he's going to come back for me. And there's this broader sense of like, maybe I'm projecting too much because I've seen some of the other Halloween movies with, with her also, but there's this broader sense of like, now that I know what evil looks like, even if that one killer is gone, I just can't rest because I know there's still evil out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, going back to the Halloween franchise and how messed up it is with all these different plot lines there, (laughs) there is an even further out alternate timeline where Laurie Strode has taken a different path in Halloween 2018, where she's kind of turned into this like recluse and she hasn't moved on with her life. And she spent several decades like stockpiling weapons and uh, preparing for her next battle with him. But in H2O, she's not there yet. She, it's a different timeline. She's not stockpiling weapons. She is essentially trying to fake it till she makes it you know she's she's moved. she's functioning yeah she's functioning she uh she's moved on in her career somehow she has a kid we don't we don't know who his dad is right no no just that he has a dad and he's not around yeah so she's got this kid who's you know in his teens she's trying to date although it's really hard for her to let people get close to her and it's really this kind of peek into what happens when somebody carries decades of trauma um and and how kind of flinchy they continue to be all these years later yeah i agree so her midlife plot twist is what would you say well well what would you say (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it's basically just dealing with decades of trauma and how how do you like even before he mm. comes back it's like how are you going to let yourself live fully and like there's this guy that's interested in her and she's kind of like yes and then no and then yes and then no she's like torn on it and and her son is trying to like move on with his life he's like getting ready for college and a lot of their discussion is around like am i going to let you go it's college well there's this like class trip that's like far away but then it's also kind of like what are we going to do after this this the class trip is kind of like a um a a smaller test for what they're preparing Mm -hmm. for next and um so she's got to kind of reckon with all these real life questions while also recognizing that like it's halloween 20 years later and she, her gut says that like something bigger is just around the corner and then it turns out to be true. Yeah. Yeah. She's very much, she's, you know, so traumatized, you know, from what happened to her. And she, yeah, I, I agree. She's life is barreling on ahead and she can't shake the past and she's, she's trying to, and she's, she's trying to manage that while, while the future moves along and yeah she's just uh just her yeah struggling to manage everything in her life while her trauma is still ruling it 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 kind of feels like a a similar kind of coming of age moment to the Shaun of the dead moment where like 
I mean, this one we can we understand that it's like trauma based, and his was more just like, you know, staying stuck in not wanting to adult. But yeah. uh, she still has to come. She, there's like a pivotal moment where she has to decide: Am I going to fight back? Am I going to move on with my life, or am I going to stay stuck? And there's basically regardless of her career and parenting decisions she's been able to kind of live her life in relative indecision up until this point and so she has to decide like what am i going to do next i would say that's her plot twist yes i i would agree with that okay so the outcome is michael myers comes back and she fights him and then a lot of her other decisions actually become a non-issue because spoiler people die (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah people do people do die in this uh slasher movie and um or you're you're referring to you could say what what the next movie informs us about what happened at the end of this one oh no i wasn't uh doesn't her love oh. interest die? Oh uh, yeah, he does. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> and does does her son? Does Josh Hartnett die? No, Josh Hartnett gets away, and then we never see him again. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> the movie just kind of the movie keeps going until un- until it stops, and then it's over. And that, that <laughs> that's something I really like about this movie. There's no like fallout, like epilogue or or prologue whichever one comes after i forget um (laughs) it's just yeah it's just like nonstop slasher madness until until that gets resolved and then boom the movie's over so we'll assume that josh hartnett got away and decided to go into hiding from his mom from his controlling mom (laughs) yes yeah like looking at the movie in a vacuum i would assume that yeah, everything is fixed. Everything's okay again. And Michael, yeah, he's he's dead. Spoilers. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, Josh Hartnett can live his life. And because it it ends with her stopping and like breathing, mm-hmm. and she just like takes some slow breaths, and then it ends. And I feel like that's all you really that's all you really need. Like you don't need a long monologue i feel like that says it all yeah and we're just gonna pretend that the next movie didn't happen because yes, it's frustrating please. and we don't like it so no <laughs> so it completely undermines the last 10 minutes of this movie yeah yeah um okay so was was laurie's story in this particular plot line in h2o redemptive uh yes absolutely i would say it was she yeah because for one thing she was right all along fuck everybody else michael is not dead <laughs> and uh yeah she destroys yeah this this horrible thing responsible for her trauma finally and she's able to let go of that presumably and yeah jimmy Lee curtis is a badass and saves the day and every, everybody's okay <laughs> awesome yeah i would agree all right so that was number four h2o so we're gonna go ahead and talk about number five and then we've made the decision to turn this into a two-parter since apparently we don't 
talk quickly about movies. So we're going to just take our time with it because it's fun. Um, so we're going to do number five now. And then uh, next time we do this, which will be probably in a couple months, we'll do the rest of the top 10. So this is a two-part interview. So number five is actually, okay, I've seen this one only once. And it's uh, one of the newer, like more recent movies on our list. And it's probably one of the better known movies on our list. Like lots of people, if you, if you have watched horror movies in the past, like five years, you've probably seen this one, but it's actually as memorable as the standout moments are. It's the one that I kind of am not as my memory isn't as clear about like what the background plot is so number five is hereditary yeah and scott i'm gonna let you give the synopsis for this one okay so hereditary follows tony collette and i do not i do not remember her character name off the top of my head um tony collette and her husband and her daughter and son um the movie it begins with tony collette's mother having died and they oh god how do you even explain this movie i know <laughs> it, takes, even... it takes a lot of twists and turns tony collette's yeah, but... character is annie yes that's and annie and her family annie and her husband and her kid live it feels like the middle of nowhere to me. It's like, kind of like rural, not quite farmland, but there's they got a lot of land. Yeah, a lot of trees and, and wilderness. Yeah, and, you know, they're kind of a typical, they're living like a typical just outside of suburban life. Like, you know, they, they, they go to their jobs, they go to school, but because they've got all this wilderness, uh, her kids also have, a lot of independence around the land too as far as i can mm-hmm. tell so the grandmother dies and you don't during the course the during the course of the movie yeah you don't necessarily even remember that the grandmother died like it's about what the like kind of the fallout of that but it's did you even meet the grandmother is there a grandmother character the there is a grandmother character and you so you, you kind of get the sense that the grandmother is still around in some shape or form, not strictly like a ghost, but like, even though the it's grandmother like is dead. Yeah. Even though she's dead, she still kind of lingers in some sense. And there is a lot of focus on Charlie, uh, Tony, uh, Annie's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she keeps seeing the grandmother actually a couple of characters keep seeing the grandmother but um right okay but you get the sense that charlie is very important in some way and you don't entirely know why or how or what the the movie it unfolds very gradually like there's mm-hmm. it's just it's just bad things keep happening <laughs> and uh but they're like, yeah. for the most part, they're like mundane bad things. Or at first, it's like Charlie's out in 
on the property and she's like playing with something and you're not really sure what it is and then you find out like dead birds usually yeah she like plays with dead birds uh she's just kind of a a quirky kid and you're kind of like where where is this going uh yeah yeah she's kind of depicted as sort of like an outcast I would say like she doesn't have any friends in school she's kind of seen as weird by everybody even her own brother uh Mm -hmm. and she like she makes these like dolls out of like whatever she can find sometimes animal parts and which is funny because also her her mother uh her job is she's she does dioramas dollhouses oh, right sort of thing. She, yeah, yeah like she has like a she's an artist and she makes her art as dioramas of scenes or buildings or yeah right yeah and uh but uh i guess yeah which which is also it's it kind of parallels what's going on that you find out is going on as the yeah as the movie progresses um because i i really i really don't want to give too much away because yeah anybody watching this for the first time the best way is to not know too much going in but um well so i think we should give one spoiler away but uh it's so it's an it's an a24 movie which uh if you don't know what they are they're, they're like a lot of times their horror movies are kind of like slow burn massive twist at the end kind of movies <laughs> um so i think we can get away with not telling what the massive twist at the end is but i think we sh- and we won't spoil how it happens but i think we should give away the mm-hmm. fact that charlie dies unless you're <laughs> not in it, agreement with uh it's just it's just such a great sequence and it's so shocking when it happens but um everybody should have seen hereditary by now you really should have <laughs> <laughs> i think i think it's important for our discussion around Annie's midlife plot twist. Yes. Is yes. she, it, it's not, it doesn't feel, the beginning doesn't feel like a movie about Annie necessarily. She's kind of just like the the person in the background while it's really a movie about Charlie and the grandmother. But as after Charlie dies, the, the midlife plot twist is that Annie then kind of comes to terms with how much of her life is falling apart uh she's got these shifts in caregiving roles because you know her her daughter is not around anymore her daughter's dead um and also her daughter is dead in a in a way that makes it look like it was her son's fault Mm -hmm. and um she has to kind of grapple with that while also feeling like she's going out of her mind because she's in this house that like she's she's in this unhappy marriage and she's in this house that's bringing up all these like weird vibes around her mother that passed away and all these terrible things are happening and she just yeah there's a whole history with her with her mother and her upbringing yeah yeah so she just like loses it she's trying her best to hold her family together but it's just it's just at if, if a certain point it becomes one thing too many and it just consumes everybody especially yeah. her so uh the standout moment i would say is her crazy screaming monologue at the dinner table yeah yes <laughs> yeah tell us about tell us like set the scene for that what's going on i so first of all Tony Collette is fucking incredible 
in this yeah. movie. Just all the she, time, really, but in this movie, yeah. It, yeah. And like I'm the the Oscars that year, like I mean, people everybody has their opinions about the Oscars, but like what what everybody was saying was that how in God's name did they not nominate Tony Collette for this movie? Anyway, so by this point, you know, the grandmother died early in the movie. She's been dealing with that and her presence is still lingering. And then Charlie dies and she blames her son. And even before that, she and her son had kind of a combative relationship. And I would, I feel like, like the, the father is doing his best to also try and <laughs> hold them together he just he is he's in way over his head he doesn't know what he's doing he's just trying to be there for everybody yeah and uh, so it's just this dinner table scene and and it's the most uncomfortable dinner you've ever seen in your life and because <laughs> everybody wants to say something to each other but they're just keeping it inside and which i feel like a lot of families can identify with <laughs> yeah um and uh i mean not to the extremes that they that they're dealing with in this movie obviously but um yeah and uh the son is making small talk like tiny talk with his dad about stuff and the mother uh, tony collette she's sitting there just like playing with her food just kind of making faces and comments to herself and the son is just like something you want to say mom and she's like why Why do you think I want to say something and then from there it just explodes and <laughs> she just she's just screaming about the issues in the family and how she understands that her son is going through something because he also is you know dealing with the fact that he's kind of responsible for his sister's death and um <laughs> and she like can't forgive him and and she's just she just unloads on her family uh about everything and it's amazing <laughs> just like from an acting perspective tony Collette is just unbelievable but um it's it's like a boiling point yeah it's like the, it feels like the all the drama is leading towards that moment and because there's so much unsaid yeah leading up to that like she doesn't say a word to her son for like it's like it's maybe like 20 some minutes in from charlie's death to this scene at the dinner table mm -hmm. but there's so much grief and yeah and just horror in those scenes leading up to that that it feels like it feels like it's an hour not in a bad slow way it's just it's so awful and uh nobody's been saying anything to anybody while they're going through this and you can feel it just boiling under the surface and it all explodes in this dinner yeah. table scene it, it it should be said that tony collette does go to a like a support group oh, where she yeah. does she does like unpack her uh, childhood like with her mother and like that's where you find out a lot more about Tony Collette's character she's well that that's actually before Charlie dies she like talks about her grandma her about her mother and then after mm -hmm. Charlie dies you know anyway yeah yeah so so her midlife plot twist is coming to terms with all of these major life changes it's not just 
you know, losing a daughter. It's not just losing her mother. It's, it's all of it. It's all of it just reaches a boiling point and she snaps. And then the rest of the movie isn't really about the outcome of that. It's just kind of like she snaps. And then there's one more plot twist at the end that we won't tell you. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, she, like you said, she snaps and then, and it's just more of that. Yeah. It goes on. It's yeah. just uh, this, this family unraveling. Yeah. So as far as the outcome and is it redemptive? I don't know the answer to that. Like, I guess it's redemptive in the fact that she can't change the circumstances. Um, but she finally lets it out. And she finally mm-hmm. like talks about all of the things that are going on. She does it in via screaming but uh but you do you are kind of cheering for her at that moment you're kind of like finally thank you yes somebody talk about this uh but but we don't see a lot of life changes after that I guess there's she makes a decision about her marriage right uh I don't even remember uh, not necessarily no I wouldn't I feel like that as far as their marriage goes she and her husband drift further apart. She actually, I feel like she grows a little closer with her son. Like they, yeah. she talks to him more as it goes on. And like when she kind of starts to figure out a bit of what's going on, she like opens, not opens up to her son more, but she, she connects with her family a bit more as it goes on, but um, at the cost of her own sanity. And she and her husband drift further apart because he can't take, because she's, she's trying to, she's trying to communicate with Charlie, you know, who is now dead. And uh, she like tries to do a seance and the husband, he humors her as much as he can, but he just reaches a breaking point with her. And, uh, and he's, he's trying to hold things together with the, the family. He just, he, he like breaks down in one scene and it just, the family, despite their best efforts, they, they still like unravel and fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're unraveling, but I, I don't know. My takeaway, again, having only seen it the one time, my takeaway is that there's a, there's, it, it's a pressure relief when she starts talking finally. And regardless of whether or not the outcome is positive, you are glad at least that somebody's finally voicing what, like putting words to what's happening. And, um, and so for that fact, like she, she's starting to grieve finally. She's no longer trying to hold it all together. She's putting words to her grief. And for that fact, I'm going to say that it is redemptive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would you, I, would you I would say that, but she is also, she is, she is trying. Like she, one thing you can say for her throughout, throughout the, yeah, especially in the back half of the movie is that she is, she's really trying <laughs> to, make yeah. things okay again and she's i would say she's avoiding confronting her grief because she still believes charlie is out there somewhere and she's trying to as far as she's concerned charlie is still alive mm. and she tries to communicate with charlie and and it feels like she's not confronting you know she, she doesn't she, she doesn't want to let go yeah so yeah so maybe we're just leaving that one as a question mark. 
because not every uh not every story is cut and dry like that uh as anybody who's also going through their own midlife plot twist can attest to (laughs) (laughs) but i think it is a really good look at how people grieve differently how good it feels to finally like have that moment of like finally saying the things that need to be said um (laughs) but the movie's not really even about that so (laughs) it goes on to just uh I mean, I guess essentially it goes on to to explore not only uh, Annie's journey, but also like, what the heck was her mom doing all this time? And uh, her mom had her own journey that we then find out more about. Yeah, it's like it's it's in the title. It's it's about like dealing with the shit that happens generation to generation, and then yeah, yeah, generational trauma. So we've got we've got Laurie Strode with her her own trauma and then we've got generations of trauma that also cause uh plot twists cool so that was our top that was our first five we've got another five coming in another episode and before we finish up i'm not going to ask you the question that i ask everyone else because you're not qualified to answer it yet because <laughs> you're not in midlife yet uh normally i ask as far as you know you're not hiding your age <laughs> <laughs> well i mean this might be the midpoint of my life oh my gosh oh my gosh no um, <laughs> okay i'm not gonna ask you the question that i ask everyone which is if you could go back and uh tell younger scott something what would you say but what i am going to leave it with is um not even a question for you but a question for the people who listened i would love to hear any feedback about this episode because it is totally different than uh the normal format and we are excited to do a part two but we'd love to make it even more interesting to people listening so if you want to offer any feedback if you want to tell us uh questions that you'd love for us to answer about the next set of movies we have our 10 picked out already so we're not changing those but um yeah if if you have any questions about horror movies or the psychology of watching scary movies or you want to know more about scott or anything uh just let me know and that way we'll be better prepared for um part two of our midlife plot twists in the movies interview cool um scott do you have any any parting remarks before we finish up no not really except uh all all of the movies that we're talking about are absolutely worth checking out in my opinion and i don't think any of them are too well i was gonna say too gory but (laughs) there are some gory ones we we are terrible judges of gore so don't listen to us when we say something that's not too gory (laughs) (laughs) because we watch all the things but I would say th- some of them are less gory than others. So, and some of them are lighter yeah. than others. Like Shaun of the Dead is a good gateway to horror movie. Some of the ones that we come have coming up at the end of the list are a little heavier. <laughs> but we have some less gory ones at the end of the list too. Yeah. And some of them yeah, are just I... funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like of the movies we talked about so far... If I were to recommend one, I would say Serial Mom, if, if only because it would get you into John Waters <laughs> movies. <laughs> I, 
I would recommend Serial Mom in that it's a very watchable, very funny movie. But you really have to have a dark sense of humor to get into John Waters movies. Yes, it's definitely it's very it's a very specific. (laughs) It's not a feel good, a feel good rom-com by any means. No, but it's, it's outrageous and campy and the dialogue is just. Oh, yeah. Can't recommend it enough. <laughs> I'm glad that that's the one that uh, stuck out to you. I I would say yeah. <laughs> I would say Serial Mom is for the people who are ready to branch out uh, because they have the dark sense of humor. And Shaun of the Dead is a very accessible, gory movie that it's accessible because it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got another five movies that are also amazing probably more for the the more extreme horror lovers although two of them are like i would say considered kind of cult classics that do not have a lot of gore yeah so we've got a good mix coming up Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna finish up there thank you so much scott and uh yeah we'll do part two in a couple months awesome We'll see you in in a couple months. (laughs) (laughs) I will see you sooner than that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Be sure to hit subscribe and check back monthly for each new episode. Since monthly podcasts don't automatically download, you can also follow me on Instagram at Lucy Baber and Facebook at Lucy Baber Photography to be the first to know when each new episode is released.